Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my second podcast in my series on the Apostle Paul. In our first podcast, we uncovered the power of being transformed by having faith in Jesus and then letting that faith change our lives. Today, we're going to learn that God is going to use Paul despite his shortcomings. He's going to use it to bring glory to his name and to bring many Gentiles who are non-Jews to know Jesus. We learned in my last podcast that Paul was his Roman name. His Jewish name was Saul. And Paul was really smart and he knew his Old Testament. He was what is called a Pharisee. And as we learn from the biblical writer Luke in his New Testament book called Acts, Paul was a super unlikely candidate to bring people to faith in Jesus. And we learned why. Because as a learned Jewish scholar, Paul felt he was justified in trying to stop the Jesus movement, which was called the Way. And Luke recorded that Paul was there at the death of the first recorded martyr named Stephen. And a martyr is someone in the Bible who dies because of their faith. So we learn that Paul saw innocent Stephen being stoned to death for his belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And again, Paul was part of this religious elite group who felt that his Jewish faith was at stake. And so he wanted to stop this heretical movement of calling Jesus the Messiah literally at all costs. So Paul frequently appeared before the high priest asking for letters that he could take to faraway places like Damascus. So he would have authority to arrest men or women who were followers of Jesus. Yeah, this man, Paul, truly felt he was justified in the persecution of these early believers. He was convinced that his understanding of Scripture, his understanding of the facts, his understanding of who Jesus was, all justified his mindset that these believers were dangerous. So only a complete transformation of his mind would convince Paul of the error of his ways. And as we read in our podcast last week, Luke recounts that a complete transformation is exactly what happened to Paul. Paul went from persecutor to proselytizer, meeting the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, changed Paul's life forever. Do you know someone who has been completely transformed by meeting Jesus? Well, as a matter of fact, it's impossible to believe in Jesus and not be changed by the event. To know Jesus means to literally put 
off our old self. We'll see in today's podcast that this is a common theme in Paul's letters. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says to the people of Corinth, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Unquote. Today we're going to see how Paul was the perfect instrument for sharing the good news of Jesus. Paul's life definitely shows us that God's ways are not man's ways. I think the Old Testament prophet Isaiah really summarized this beautifully when he talks about this truth about God. It was in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9 in the Old Testament. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts, unquote. All right, let's be honest. If you were to choose someone almost 2,000 years ago to spread the good news of Jesus, you most likely would not have chosen someone who was ordering the death of Jesus' followers, right? Paul acknowledges in many letters to the early believers that, yeah, he was an unlikely candidate. He admits that he needed to have an attitude adjustment before God could use him. He reminds us in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we need to no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Clearly, Paul was speaking from a unique position. There was a time in his life when he relied on his own wits, his own understanding of the world around him. It was extremely popular in the educated circles that he hung out in that Jesus was a false prophet. Few would have questioned Paul's good intentions of ridding the world of this perceived evil. So, truly, who better than Paul to understand the beauty of transformation and forgiveness? As we discussed, Paul wrote at least 13 letters to churches and to individuals encouraging their faith in Jesus. In his letter to the Romans, for example, Paul acknowledges the sinfulness of all of us and that forgiveness is offered through Jesus. Paul promises a new life to those who believe in Jesus. And he's able to do this because he personally has experienced the power of forgiveness and the joy of a new life in Christ. Paul makes it clear that apart from faith, we have no hope in life. Paul knows that the terrible things that he did before knowing Jesus have all been forgiven. Paul has learned that God is able to turn around all things for our long-range good. God uses everything. God even used Paul's murderous thoughts and deeds to later convince new believers of 
Paul's complete transformation. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul knew firsthand what he was talking about when he discussed forgiveness. Later in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, Paul says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, unquote. Wow. Can you imagine what comfort Paul must have felt knowing that God completely forgave his previous life? God looked at Paul and said, What sin? All is forgiven. This should be a great comfort to you, too. Paul knew what he was talking about. Paul asked the rhetorical question, why would Jesus go to all this trouble to literally die for you on the cross to then turn around and condemn you? You know, it's the enemy, Satan, who tries to convince us we're not worthy of forgiveness, that our sins are too great and that others might deserve mercy and grace, but not us. In fact, Satan either makes us feel inferior or superior. Either way, he wants us to not turn to God for help. But Paul is able to tell us through his own personal experience that no matter what we do, where we go, who we are, Paul reminds us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Grace is a word that is so powerful. What does it mean exactly? Grace means that God gives us unwavering, unconditional love that we truly do not deserve. God is grace. Grace, undeserved love. Paul in his letters talks a lot about grace. In fact, he mentions it 
144 times. Sometimes Paul was even referred to as the Apostle of Grace. Paul's transformed life literally models the gift of grace. And Paul humbly talks about this undeserved gift quite often in his letters, but especially in his letter to the Ephesians. That's the people of Ephesus, Turkey. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, listen to what he says. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, unquote. Then what is mercy? Many times you'll hear these words together, grace and mercy, mercy and grace. Mercy is also a very powerful word. It means not giving us what we truly deserve. Dictionary.com says mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Hmm, I like that. Showing compassion or forgiveness even though it is within their power to punish or harm. Paul absolutely understood God's unwavering mercy and grace. And again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, unquote. When I was a teacher, I saw a poster in a classroom that I just loved, and so I've never forgotten it. It read, life is not fair. And that's a good thing, because if it was, we might actually get what we truly deserve. <sighs> I love that. Mercy and grace are what Paul's life was all about, and he very openly will talk about it to anyone who will listen. Paul, in the book of Acts, in chapter 22, he talks about how God was going to use him despite his shortcomings. It's almost like he can't believe it. It's as if he's saying, God wants to use me, me, little, awful, sinful, messed up, screwed up, me. As a matter of fact, because of the mess that Paul has caused, God is going to use, this is the reason for Paul to preach outside of Israel. Paul will focus his ministry on, as I said before, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, that's us. And this is how Paul described what happened between him and God and the man Ananias who nursed him back to his health after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this is what he says. This is in Acts 22, verses 14 through 21. Paul is talking about what Ananias said to him when he helped him regain his sight. Now, recall what a 
powerful thing it was for Paul to literally have been blinded on the road to Damascus and now all of a sudden to regain his sight, both in a real sense, but also in a metaphorical sense, because the truth has been revealed to him and he really is able to see. Then Ananias said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Unquote. So Paul explains in his own words why he ended up traveling to so many different places throughout Western Asia and parts of Europe. Israel wasn't safe for him. Too many people knew who he was and what he had done. But God's going to use that. God uses everything for good. Paul's going to travel almost 10,000 miles on his missionary journeys to convert Gentiles. Now, I have maps of his missionary journeys on my website, studentofthebible.com. And we're actually going to talk more about these journeys in my next podcast, Paul Part 3. Paul's life shows us very dramatically that God can use our past mistakes to bring glory to him. Think about that for a moment. Do you know the story of John Newton? John Newton famously said, We serve a gracious master who knows how to overrule even our mistakes to his glory and our own advantage. This is the story of John Newton, and it's taken from Crosswalk.com website, and I quote, John Newton was the master of mistakes. Although he grew up in a Christian home, he chose to abandon his faith, reject God, and live for his own pleasure. As a young man, he strayed about as far from God as anyone can get, indulging in every vice available to man. He even became involved in the African slave trade. Little did Newton realize that someday God would use all of those mistakes for his glory and to shape him into a great man who would change history. Do you know yet who this is? All right, keep listening. Quote, Out of John Newton's mistakes, God birthed 
the most famous and moving song the word has ever known. John Newton is the author of Amazing Grace. Out of Newton's mistakes, God used his eyewitness testimony in Parliament to help put an end to the slave trade in Britain. Out of John Newton's mistakes, millions of lives have been touched and blessed. John Newton's mistakes pushed him to be a man of prayer. By the end of his life, his diary indicated that he prayed, listen to this, five hours a day. Out of that prayer life, he developed a close relationship with God that impacted the world. John Newton's tombstone is inscribed with these words. Once an infidel and a libertine, but by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Even in death, John Newton was conscious of his mistakes and the grace that came as a result. In fact, in his last breath, he said, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Newton let God use his mistakes to point others to the Savior. He freely shared his testimony about his rebellious, sinful years in an autobiography that then became a bestseller. He did so to let others know that if God's grace could save him, a blind wretch, then God could save them as well, unquote. Isn't that an amazing story of transformation? Have you ever thought about how God can use your story? As humbling as it may be, when we're honest about our mistakes, it's an opportunity for us to let others know that no one is ever beyond the reach of God's grace. We may suffer for our mistakes, and most likely we will. We may beat ourselves up over our mistakes, and we most probably will. We may hurt others over our mistakes because, quite honestly, no one sins in a closet. Our sin always affects others in some way. But let us never forget, we serve an awesome God. He has the power to redeem and to use our worst sins for his glory. Just like he used John Newton's and the Apostle Paul's. I'm going to close with this quote from the author Josh McDowell. I think his words are really powerful and kind of summarize what I want you to understand. Quote, To transform our sense of identity, we really need to surround ourselves with people who trust that God is doing a new work in us. Transformational environments include people who mirror the love and acceptance that God holds for us. Step out of the grave and into God's grace. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit. 
Remember, you're God's workmanship. You're a member of Christ's body. You're Christ's friend. You may approach God with boldness, freedom, and confidence, unquote. I think that is transformative, and I hope you do too. Have a blessed day.